The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. You? Doing well, Father. Okay. Father, the, uh, the Lenten season is now upon us as we celebrate Ash Wednesday uh, this, this very week. So I'd like to spend some time in this program talking about uh, the significance, the importance of, of Lent and the Lenten season. And uh, in the bulletin here at Immaculate Conception on, on Sunday, Father, you had a, a nice short little write-up on the season of Lent. We have that posted on our website at wcbohio.com for anyone that's interested to read it. But in that, uh, in that, that little writing, Father, you, you said that Lent is the most beautiful time of the church year. Now, I would like to ask you to expound upon that a, a bit, Father, because on, on the surface, it seems that, uh, you know, if one considers Lent, uh, immediately what comes to mind is kind of the, the fasting, the abstinence, the sacrifices we are supposed to make, the penance uh, that we are supposed to perform during the Lenten season. And all of these things kind of on the surface seem rather sorrowful and, and sad. So why did you say, Father, that, that Lent is the most beautiful time of the church year? Well, Tom, one could take that as something rather subjective, because you know, people have their favorites. And when we're children, it, it seems that the favorite time for most children is uh, Christmas time, of course. Right. Because of all the, the, the cheery things and the uh, presents, right, and the Christmas carols and, and uh, partying and all the rest. Um, and also finding good. I mean, we, you know, to celebrate the birth of our Lord. And, and uh, of course, you know, when I'm referring to the Christmas season, I'm referring to the real Catholic Christmas season, not the, the worldly anti-Christmas season. Mm -hmm. uh, because the world wants to celebrate Christmas uh, from, let's say, Thanksgiving or Halloween even. Yeah. Uh, until the day that Christ is born, uh, or, you know, the, the anniversary, you might say, December 25th, and then they stop. And, uh, you know, the, the Christmas trees wind up curbside uh, December 26th to be taken away. And uh, often you find the Christmas carols disappear from the, from the sound systems and the airports and the rest. And, um, but of course, we know that as the preparation for Christmas time, Advent, so the world is celebrating that uh, what they they call uh, Christmas. Well, in some cases, they won't even allow you to call it that, right? Mm -hmm. But the holiday season is what they like to they call it. But uh, it's most mostly commercial, partying and so on, and has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. But for us as Christians, we we see that we begin celebrating. On, on Christmas Day, we begin celebrating the birth of Christ. And that celebration then continues for 40 days until February 2nd. So those 40 days from December 25th to February 2nd, we know as uh, the Christmas season, 
Now you have Christmas Day itself, and you have the 12 days of Christmas leading up to January 6th, Feast of the Epiphany, you have Christmas Tide, and then you have the whole Christmas season that lasts the, the full 40 days, and, and we should be celebrating the birth of Christ all 40 days. Well, when we come to the Lenten season, we have a very different season, of course. We transition through Septuagesima and Sexagesima and Quinquagesima with the purple vestments. And then uh, Ash Wednesday, we enter the Christmas, the, the Lenten season, which, as you say, is a time of uh, uh, rather somber sobriety. And we have to, uh, those of us who are age, fast. Of course, many of those who are not required to fast because of their age or whether other infirmities there might be, uh, often they still do. You know, people still do voluntarily fast. And uh, as one gets older, I think one begins to see the Lenten season as something more beautiful. Uh, perhaps as one gets older, one gets wiser, I, I would hope. And one sees the significance of the Lenten season of our Lord, then turning his uh, days to, uh, you know, the, the ultimate purpose for which he'd come. You know, you read in the Gospels that our Lord said he came to offer his life and sacrifice for us and to redeem us and to establish his church. And we see that purpose of our Lord very clearly in this time of the year, the Lenten season coming up. As our Lord labors forward um, to fulfill the Father's will, becomes very, very clear to us uh, that our Lord has applied himself. Now, you know, of course, our Lord applied himself to fulfill the Father's will at every moment of his life here on earth. We know that. But that will and that purpose shines forth, I think, more brightly during this time of our Lord uh, applying himself to the labor of love for which he became incarnate to fulfill the Father's will. Uh, not my will, but thy will be done, is the expression of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, which sums up you know, our, our, the entire meaning of the Incarnation and our Lord's work. To be privileged to accompany our Lord during that time uh, is, a, is a very great thing for those who love our Lord now. They want to be associated with him not only in, in fasting and feasting, or rather in feasting, but they want to be associated with him also in his labors and in his cross. Uh, and that really is where the love seems, the love for our Lord, and the love of our Lord seems more resplendent during that time. So uh, that is what I mean uh, by it being an exceptionally beautiful time of year. Okay. Of course, the fact that it leads us to the great triumph of the resurrection has everything to do with that, because... Uh, Every step of the way here, we accompany our Lord through his public life, uh, is directed to that. The sacrificial death of our Lord on the cross, the greatest act of love, not only the world has ever known, the greatest act of love possible, um, but also the crowning uh, of that sacrifice by the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection. Uh, what could be more glorious than that? 
Father, the, the church has us begin this Lenten season with Ash Wednesday and the, the blessing of the ashes and the ashes that we receive on our forehead. What is the significance of, of that, that uh, ceremony and why would the church choose that ceremony to start the Lenten mm -hmm. season? Well, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God said to, um, to them, Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. This was uh, corresponding to the sentence of death that struck us as a result of sin, right? The preternatural gift of immortality was taken away, forfeited by our sin. And that sentence of death applied not only to the body, but also to the soul. Uh, in the sense that our souls now lost sanctifying grace, even as our bodies had lost immortality. And so there was a sentence of condemnation of the natural life here on earth, but also the sentence of condemnation against even soul because of sin. Uh, but our Lord uh, was promised to us. God the Father promised the woman would be the enemy of Satan, bringing the child into the world, her offspring, who would be, uh, of course, the Redeemer. And um, so that promise, not that we would be saved from the first death, that is the death of the body, but that God has sent, would send a Redeemer for the soul, to lift the sentence of death against the soul. It's a great, great promise. And uh, of course, we know the history of uh, the Old Testament in which uh, we see by figure that promise fulfilled. But finally, uh, we see it fulfilled not only in promise, but in fact, with the birth of the Son of, the Son of God himself on earth. And uh, his purpose was then to accomplish the redemption and uh, not only to redeem us, but to actually save us. And, and, to give us a uh, share in his own divine life, every, promise us everlasting life if we have faith and hope and charity and love for him and obedience to him. So, uh, I mean, this is, the, again, that this promise shines so beautifully during this time of year. Uh, perhaps uh, of all the virtues, of all the, in particular, the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, perhaps the virtue of hope here is resplendent. This time is resplendent with that virtue of hope that uh, we know that, that uh, our Lord has come to give us hope and to, to realize that hope and make sure that hope is not in vain. Um, so the ashes um, correspond to that, that very hope. When the, when the priest traces the ashes in the form of a cross on our foreheads, he says the words that God said to Adam and Eve after this sin, Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. Memento homo quia pulvis est, in pulverem reviteris, are the words that he says in Latin. And uh, as he's saying those words, he, he traces the form of a cross on our foreheads. And of course, there you have, the, 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 on our foreheads we find the ashes of, of death, essentially. I mean, ashes represent death in a, in a very powerful way, uh, because everything, including ourselves, our own bodies, turn to ash. And um, so this, this very instrument of death, as it were, the, the ashes and the cross they form are also the instruments of life. Because if it were a, merely a matter of, of announcing to us that you're going to die, 
if that's what the priest was telling everyone that who came to the communion rail and knelt down there to receive the anointing with the ashes, essentially the priest is saying, we're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to remember you're going to die. And if that was all there was to it, that would not be news. And it would uh, be uh, completely vain because no good, it, it, it presaged no good whatsoever. But the fact is the form of the cross that, that <clears throat> formed the form of the cross that is formed by the ashes, there you have hope. In that cross, you have hope. And so it's as though that uh, statement of God after the first sin, remember man that thou art dust, and unto us dust thou shalt return, has now, because of the Son of God becoming man, now that has become a statement of hope, that in death we will find life. As he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, this is what our Lord has said to us. And so we find in the anointing uh, a statement of the resurrection, a pledge of the resurrection. We find a statement of the power of the grace of God um, that who has not reversed the first death, but who has triumphed over the second death, as it were, and gives us a share in that triumph over the second death, the death of the soul, who has promised us, promised us the resurrection and has proven that he has the power to make it happen, right? And that those who are faithful to him will resurrect unto glory and everlasting life. I mean, this is, this is the promise of that anointing with the ashes. Um, Though, so we, we, we recognize in the ashes not only a statement of our own death, but by virtue of the cross formed of the ashes, we recognize there also the power of Christ's death. Not only his redemptive power, but his resurrective <clears throat> power. We recognize that. And that is the emblem that the ashes make on our foreheads, that we believe in that, we trust in that, we hope in that not only recognizing our own death, but the death of the Savior, our, our Lord himself. And so we lovingly, proudly, joyfully, in a sense, wear that emblem. And we profess our faith to the whole world by, by that, that this is our hope. Father, one of the most prominent aspects of Lent is the Lenten fast that the Church mandates for, uh, for certain of her children. Um, what is the significance of that fast, Father? How, how does the idea of this fast and abstinence, how does that tie in with this message you're talking about of, of hope and mm -hmm. um, remembering uh, that we are dust and unto dust we shall return? How does the, the significance of the fast, how does that factor into this message that you're talking mm -hmm. about? Well, there are a lot of people in the world, uh, worldlings, who just diet, okay, uh, which is, I guess, a form of fasting, mm -hmm. but they do it for the sake of the world. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's all about the world, their figure and uh, how they appear to other people and so on. They may fast for health purposes, not just mere appearance purpose, uh, purposes, but it's about the things of the world and the life of the world. But to fast as a matter of mortification, mores mortis, meaning death, it's a matter of, uh, again, uh, tying that together with the infirmity of the body and the fact that the the body is destined to, to, die, to die, but for us, fasting is a labor of love. And it is a labor of love for our Lord. It is a form of self-denial and a form of sacrifice that we offer to our Lord. 
So we see in this fasting not merely a a temporal or or hollow, shallow uh, tribute to the, to the world and the things of the world and the life of the world. We see this as a way that we can share the cross of our Lord. That we can, as St. Paul says, make up in ourselves, in our own bodies, that which is lacking in the cross of Christ, as St. Paul says. And what that is, is our share in the cross of Christ, our willing, our willingness to share the cross of Christ. As our Lord says, if you wish to be my disciple, you must take up your cross every day and follow me. And we follow our Lord. We follow our Lord in fasting, in reflection of those 40 days of fasting, with which he, he actually uh, prepared for the great miracle of the wedding feast of Cana, where he began this, where he manifested himself and his divine power, and his disciples believed in him. So we are willing to uh, follow our Lord uh, figuratively, but in a sense literally too, by engaging in the fast, wanting to join him in the fast of Lent, of that, that season of mortification. Uh, mortification is very irksome to us, and he sacrifice is very uh, unpleasant for us, unless it is a labor of love. And if it is a matter of love, then sacrifice is transformed into joy, because we love to sacrifice for those we love, <laughs> to put it that way. Uh, we love to sacrifice for those we love. Um, as a profession of, uh, of our love for them, we love to have the opportunities to show that love, to demonstrate that love. And, um, you know, all you think after this thing is courtship and what a, a young man or a young woman, they, they, they just want to go out of their way. They have almost craving to go out of their way to, to show their love for each other. Yeah, by doing heroic things, by uh, uh, the sacrifices they're willing to make, the gifts they're willing to give, and the and uh, the expense they go through, you know, to to provide those gifts, that gives them the giver great joy, especially. And so it is uh, with our Lord during this time of Lent. Uh, we actually rejoice in the in the sacrifices that we can make, do for our Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. And so our Lord says, you know, when you fast, do not keep ashes upon your head and, you know, wear sackcloth and go around moaning and groaning. You might do that to impress other people, but it certainly is not an impressing God in a sense. But he says that uh, God loves a cheerful giver, so don't go around showing the world that you're fasting to draw attention and admiration. Uh, quite the contrary. Um, let the love with which you do this be reflected in the joy that you manifest. That it's not some horrible burden that you have to do in spite of yourself, um, almost with a slavish kind of servile fear behind it, but that it really is a labor of love and that transforms everything. Everything. Um, and that's how we should approach uh, the Lenten season. As our Lord goes forth uh, as, a, in a, as a labor of love, um, so we, we go forth with him. And for us, it's also a labor of love. Mm -hmm. 
Father, we received a, a great email from a viewer who referenced the book Light and Peace. It's a very popular uh, spiritual book that we've, we, we have referenced on this program before. And he, he quotes us a passage in that book, Father, where the author kind of talks about um, submitting to God's will and how even if it is repugnant to our nature, we should just accept that it is God's will and we should do it simply because it's God's will and it pleases Him. Mm -hmm. So can you compare and contrast that idea of simply just submitting to this, uh, this Lenten fast just because it's God's will, the church has imposed it upon mm -hmm. us, um, regardless of, of how it makes us feel, even if it's repugnant to our nature, um, doesn't that seem to just kind of be, you know, not have this this uh, this kind of idea of love and sacrifice? Does this not seem more of just? Well, uh, it seems to me that uh, Father Quadrupati uses some pretty strong language. Mm -hmm. Expresses this idea very strongly, right? Do you have yes, that? I do. Well, you yes, have the book. Yes, there, I, yes I do. I can read the the passage. He. Uh, the author says, God wishes that you serve him without relish, without feeling, nay, with repugnance and perturbation of spirit. This service does not afford you any satisfaction, it is true, but it pleases him. It is not to your taste, but it is to his. Mortify yourself then cheerfully, and in proportion as you are prevented from doing the good you desire, do all the more ardently that which you do not desire. Mm -hmm. So how can you, we kind of... Um, well, you know, it makes perfectly sense from the supernatural point of view, but one has to have right. a, a supernatural viewpoint for that to make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the point in its simplest uh, level is that when we do things that we personally find agreeable, pleasant, uh, we uh, can be doing them purely and simply for our own gratification, to please ourselves, and uh, we, we can never really know that we're doing something really out of love for God. Somebody who does only what he personally enjoys doing can never really know whether he's motivated by a love for God or just love for self. So somebody who finds that he can do things that are hard for him and unpleasant for him, but he doesn't turn back from those things. He still goes ahead. The more he can he can have confidence that he really is motivated by a love for God and not just a love for self-satisfaction. Sometimes people think, well, gee, I pray, I pray with such devotion, I have such warmth, I have such good feelings about my prayer, that I know, you know, God must share my warm, fuzzy feelings and be really uh, delighted with my prayer because my feelings are just so so complacent in my prayer, you know, I get so much satisfaction out of it. Uh, they're very wrong about that. They're wrong. Because um, if they're praying merely to please themselves, they're not playing, praying really to please God. When, when someone who thinks this way then finds prayer difficult, finds it arduous, finds that those warm, fuzzy feelings are not there, that person begins to think, well, what's the point? I'm not getting out of this. And that's the expression. I'm not getting out of it. I'm not getting anything out of this. Like people who go to Mass say, well, I don't get anything out of it. Well, I mean, that's all very self-centered. Yeah. Uh, we don't go to Mass to get anything out of it. At least that's the secondary purpose mm -hmm. at most. Uh, the primary purpose is to go and get what give and to give to God our love, to worship Him, to adore Him, to thank Him, to 
express our contrition for the times we did not adore him and not thank him by sin, and the times uh, that we uh, will actually also to ask him as our sovereign Lord to provide the good things we need to be faithful to him, our prayer of supplication and asking. These are the things we do when we go to Mass. Nowhere in there do you find uh, the admonition to go to Mass so that you personally can uh, you know, be gratified and uh, pleased by it and uh, made happy about it. Uh, I mean, we go to parties for that reason. The Novus Ordo wants to turn the liturgy into a party where people go and enjoy themselves. But actually, our purpose in going is to, is to please God. And we see the example that our Lord Jesus Christ gave us and how to please the Father. And it is not by parting all the time. And uh, so people who uh, are willing to do only as much as they themselves find pleasing to them. But then when they're no longer pleased by their prayer or penance, whatever, they don't get good feelings about this, then they stop. Uh, that, that pretty much tells them something they need to know, that they've been motivated not by love for God, but by love for self. But those who, you know, begin the, the spiritual life and are rewarded for that beginning by getting warm feelings in prayer, and they, keep, they persevere and they go into the, uh, the purgative way, the way of passive purgation, the way of active purgation, they begin to undertake things that are hard for them. Then when they persevere, then they can have some confidence. They're really motivated by a love for God and not just, not just for self. But they also have to have the confidence that when they undertake these things out of a love for God, that's when we really please God. And um, it is... There, there, as the saying goes, there are many who are willing to feast with Christ, but who will not, are not willing to fast with Christ. Because they're motivated by self-love and not the love for God. If you look at the lives of all of the saints, we find that the more they love God, uh, the less gratification they receive from it. And they persevered in that gratification. And even through the darkness of spirit, when they find no, found no satisfaction in their prayer personally, but they persevered in prayer purely and simply because they knew what was pleasing to God. Now there, there you have uh, what it takes to become a saint. Um, to pray the prayer that our Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Great act of love there. You find that in the lives of the saints. And uh, you have to find it in your own life, if you, if you ever aspire to be or want to be a saint with God in heaven, that you can do the hard things that you know, and you do them purely and simply because you know that this is what, is what God is asking of you. That you can say, well, this is what our Lord asks me to do for him now. Not because it pleases me, but because it pleases him. And that's good enough for me. And that's all the motivation I need to do this, because our Lord is asking this of me now. God the Father is asking this of me now. And so he shall have it. Um, so the mortifications we have during Lent are all part of that. But they are meant to brace us and to form in our minds this mentality, actually. We are meant by, by each passing Lent to form in our minds more and more the sense of what it is to love God and to seek God's love 
not in the things that are pleasing to ourselves, but the things that are pleasing to him. So the, the Lenten time is meant to, uh, a time meant to be sort of in, in training, like the, uh, the soldier is in training to be able to fight, fight the battle and to stand firm and uh, not to become flaccid and weak and fairly useless, like the insipid salt that our Lord said is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot. Mm -hmm. um, it's an extremely important time of year for every one of us. And every time we come to the season of the year, we should thank God that we are given the opportunity of another Lent. And Father, if I were to ask you for some practical things that Catholics should be doing during this extremely important time of the year, I'm sure one of the first things you would say is spiritual reading. And I, th I think this is something that's often <clears throat> overlooked because I don't believe it's necessarily imposed on us by any, any law of the church or, or anything. So why is spiritual reading so important to Catholics, especially during this time of Lent? And mm -hmm. if it is so important, what, what sort of things should we be reading? Well, you know, a lot of people think of Lent as giving up things, right? That's a very important part of Lent, of course, and any mortification is a part of denying us ourselves the things that please us, that please the senses, give ease to the body, and so on. And because they please the senses, they can also flatter the ego, um, in a sense that, you know, I have a right to pleasures and, and so on. So to be able to practice that denial of our will and, and refusal to push away the dessert, <laughs> and to give up the things that we enjoy during Lent. That, that is important. <clears throat> but um, if, we, if we did only that and nothing more, uh, it would be an exercise, a purely negative exercise. But there's supposed to be a counterpart to the denial, and that is, well, what do we do, you know, as far as building up? Um... In every uh, bit of training, there has to be the things that we don't indulge in, but there also has to be the things that we do indulge in to build up the strength. Spiritual reading is a very important part of that. Turning away from the things of the world cannot just leave a void. We have to fill that vacuum with something, right? And by spiritual reading, we're filling that vacuum, and we're actually fortifying in us the resolve to turn away from the things of the world by showing our, ourselves by showing ourselves that the things of the world that we're rejecting are empty and vacuous and meaningless and pointless in themselves. They serve no purpose except to drag us down. So it's a matter um, also of filling our minds and our hearts with the things of God. Spiritual reading is very, very important for that building up the strength of the soul by the love of God. You know, what would we read during Lent? Well, we, you know, we're not going to indulge the time now with our, our cell phones. I mean, how, how, how much time of our life is wasted? I mean, talk about the sin of sloth. Our life is, it goes into that, into that device there. And uh, with so many of our, you know, young and old, it's the first place we go. Yes, we see young people just glued to these things, and we have to tear them, their minds, their attention away to get their attention to apply to other things. And as soon as they, you know, their minds can, they they go right back to them again, just like a magnet, just draws them right back to it. 
And, uh, you know, for them, that would be a great mortification, a very, very positive mortification to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this thing away. And I'm going to show my life is more, is more than on that screen, you know. My life is about more than this. And um, what's on the screen can be very depressing, too, you know. And I have only a virtual life, not a real life. But when one separates oneself from that, there's a void of time now. I have all this time now that I used to devote to this device here mm -hmm. that has absorbed my life like some kind of thing sucking the life out of my very existence, you know. My time, the time of my day, my attention is on. Now to fill that time with something really important, do something with your family, something really positive. Devote time. It's not just young people. <clears throat> Young people have been asked, what, what would you like, you know, if your parents were to change anything, what would you want? Young people themselves is that I want my mom and my dad to put down their cell phones <laughs> and talk to me yeah. and communicate with me and be part of my life. So it's, it's older people, too. It, it has this the effect on people. Um, that it, it's sort of the great sapper of the life, lifetime. So uh, to resist that, what a great Lenten practice that would be, to put that aside. Maybe not entirely. I mean, Sundays, you know, are, are exceptions. But even there, I mean, of all the times that you would want to put that aside Sunday when right. you're supposed to devote the time to God and your soul and uh, to the worship of God. Yeah, I mean, but once you do that during the weekday, you are much more able to do that on a Sunday. And people have actually done that, have said, okay, I gave this up. I'm limiting myself to an hour, no more, a day, or maybe half an hour a day, uh, Monday through Saturday. And I find that by Sunday, I don't care about that anymore. I don't really want that anymore. Yeah. I begin to see this as a, as a total waste of my life, my energy, my time, my attention. And now I find other things that are so much more important to me, so much more significant to me. Uh, now I can almost live, I can breathe again without this thing. It's like my, this is like my life support, you know. And it's, it's, it's a substitute for living, and I, I don't want that anymore. It's amazing how people are set free by that. Something very positive happens in their lives. So I'd recommend that that, that be a very good place to start. If you want time for spiritual reading... Take it from that, take it away from that, and uh, devote yourself to reading The Imitation of Christ or um, uh, St. Francis de Sales' his sermons for, during Lent or St. John Vianney or St. Alphonsus Liguori, right? There are so many powerful spiritual books with so many inspiring ideas that we can gain if we just give them a chance uh, to get our attention, our, our focus for a moment. Um, so, yes, spiritual reading is very important to, um, to turn our, our time and our attention exactly where they need to be, on our souls, on our Lord, on God. And uh, that's what Lent is all about. Are there any more positive uh, things that, that you can talk about? Um, you know, you, you mentioned how we have the, the negative of, of abstaining from certain mm -hmm. pleasures or indulgences or indulging mm -hmm. in, in certain things, but are there any more positive actions that we can perform during that? Well, yeah, Tom, I mean, even, even what I said before about so much time being taken up by this, yeah. but 
uh, one could say, okay, I'm going to take the time from that, and I'm going to devote it to my family. I'm going to devote it to my little brother and my little sister. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give my time to help my little brother and little sister. I'm going to help them with their schoolwork. I'm going to play games with them. I'm going to do things with my family. I mean, whole families could do this together, and that's why that's very important for a whole family to be. So we're going to do this together now. You know, we're going to lay these things aside, and we're now going to 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 actually communicate with each other. Imagine a, a young man in a family. Imagine a son, who would say, uh, "Okay, I'm not only going to give up ice cream for Advent, for Lent. I'm sorry." <clears throat> but I'm going to, going to endeavor to be more pleasant to my siblings. That I'm not going to be so impatient, not going to be so grouchy, but I'm going to endeavor to be very patient with them, very pleasant with them, and set a good example for them. Now imagine a young person in a family uh, making that his, his focus during Lent. I mean, how wonderful would that be for the whole family? <laughs> yeah. The whole family would benefit just by this one person in the family deciding, I'm going to be more pleasant, I'm not going to be so irritable, I'm not going to ignore my family and try to get away from them. Um, I'm going to undertake to be more helpful to my mother and father, and I'm going to undertake this chore at home, and I'm not going to complain about it. Even if somebody would say, I will endeavor, even during the chores that I have, doing the dishes or whatever, to be pleasant and never to complain. What a transformation that would be in the home. What a, what a marvelous example that would be for the other kids, you know. It would have an influence on them that would be a tangible influence very quickly on the others as well. Um, and all the others in the family. So that's a great thing to resolve to do during Lent, you know. So it's not just the negative, what I'm going to give up, and and grumble about you know and and think every minute about why well, I can't do this or I can't have that or I can't eat chocolate or whatever I gave out or ice cream. No, I'm going to actually take my attention away from these things and I'm going to turn my attention to something else that for me might be a real challenge, but something that is eminently worth doing here. Um, you know, a young person in the family might even say uh, might even say I'm going to go to my mother and my father. And ask them, you know, what, what do you recommend that I do during Lent? Not just giving something up. What would you like me to do positively, you know? Uh, a, a husband might say to his wife, or a wife might say to her husband, Honey, you know, you know, you know me better than anybody else in the world. What's the one thing you think would... Uh, this is kind of dangerous, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, Open up what, Pandora's box. <laughs> right. Uh, what would you, you know, like me to try to accomplish during Lent, you know? <laughs> And for a husband to say to his wife, or a wife to say to her, husband, well, stop being such a grouch, <laughs> that might be a little risky. But if they resolved to say, well, I'll take that in good faith, in good grace, whatever my husband and wife says, I'll take it in good grace, I will not get upset with what they tell me, but I'll take it seriously. Uh, as though, well, maybe they're telling something I really need to know. You know? A little act of humility there goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. There are various things we can do that would be very helpful. If somebody thinks... His predominant fault is laziness. And that's true of a lot of people. They're much more willing to devote their time and energies to things that are really of secondary importance and neglect the things that are really important. That's a form of laziness. So that even somebody who's very busy, but with more frivolous things, and they have a hard time 
buckling down to the things that are hard, but really important, they could make, those per persons who see that they have a predominant fault of laziness, could apply the Lenten season to making real progress again, let's say. I recognize that in myself, and I'm going to force my, I'm going to command myself now to get these jobs done first, before I allow myself, you know, the, the relative recreation to do things I enjoy. I'm going to do the hard, important things first, okay? Um, there's an old story about uh, somebody who, a man or a woman, it wouldn't matter, who appeared before in, in an auditorium full of people and they brought out a, uh, a like an aquarium, okay? And then they had buckets and then one bucket were these big rocks and the bucket over here had smaller rocks and then the next bucket had gravel and the next bucket had sand and the next bucket had water. Now they didn't necessarily see all these buckets, they might have been hidden behind the, the platform. And so the, um, the person uh, who was doing this presentation first pulled out the bucket with the rock, big rocks and put the big rocks in the aquarium and then asked, okay, does this fill the aquarium? And some people thought, well, yeah, you can't fit any more big rocks in there. You got as many big rocks as you can put in there. Some said, yes, it did. Others said, no, it didn't. And to those who said, no, it didn't fill the aquarium, he said, you're right. And then he brought out the, the, bucket, the bucket with the smaller rocks. And he managed to find a way to get the smaller rocks in among the bigger rocks and fill in the empty spaces. Then he asked again, does this fill it up? And again, some said, well, yeah, it does now. And others said, no. And he said, you're right. And then he took out the gravel. <clears throat> he began pouring the gravel in and shaking it. So the gravel filtered way down and filled up the empty spaces between the big rocks and the, the smaller rocks. And now we had the gravel and the, the, the smaller rocks and larger rocks. And he asked, okay, does this fill up? And uh, they said, some again said, well, yes, it does. Moore said, yes, it does now because visually it looked like it was pretty full. And others said, well, no, you could still squeeze something more in there. And he said, you're right. So he pulled out the sand and he poured the sand and he shook it until the sand filtered down through the gravel and he emptied the, the bucket of sand and it filled everything up. And then he said, now does this fill it up? Well, now virtually everybody in the room said, yeah, yeah, that fills it up. And he said, no, it doesn't. He pulled out the bucket of water and he poured the water in. And sure enough, all the water actually went into the, went into the aquarium. And he said, now does this fill it up? And by this time, everybody thought, well, we're a little afraid to say yes, because <laughs> every time we say yes, he proves it's wrong. And he says, yeah, that, that pretty well fills it up. There's not much more I can put in here. But he says, uh, what does this show? Well, hands go up, you know, you call them, yes. And their consensus is that no matter how full your day is, you can always fit in a little more. And his answer is no, that's not the point. That is not the point. That's the opposite of the point. He said, the point is, if you want to get all these things in, You've got to start with the big rocks first. You've got to get the big things in first. Only then can you start adding all the other things. But if you put all those other things in first, you're never going to get all those big rocks in there. Never. And that was his point. You've got to start with the big things first. And a lazy person wants to start with all little stuff, you know, and tackle the difficult but the important things last. Right? And um, that's very important 
when we apply ourselves to Lent, that we train ourselves, take care of the really important things first. It's a matter of mortifying oneself, training oneself. It's a matter of self-denial and, and uh, uh, putting, putting real order in one's life. For a Catholic, that means a spiritual, that means a soul, right? Focusing on what really matters in the eyes of God, right? What are my responsibilities to my family? But of course, what are my responsibilities to God above all, right? And I've got to get the big things in first. And it's like, I, I, I can't, I, I have to have the cake before I can put the frosting on it, right? I have to eat the dinner before I can get to the dessert, okay? So we train ourselves to do that. Children want the dessert first. In fact, after the dessert, they're full. They don't want anything else, like the rocks, you know, the big rocks. They want to fill themselves up with the dessert. St. Paul says, when I became a man, I put away the things of a child. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. The epistle for last Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I became a man, I put away the things of a child. That's what Lent is all about. Right? Right. Training ourselves, basically, not to speak and understand and think as a child so much, but to put away the things of a child. And we're actually having the children begin to do that in a little way, to begin to do that so that they can grow up. But the adults still have a lot of growing up to do too, spiritually, so they need to do that. When I became a man, I put away the things of a child. So Lent is supposed to enable us to put first the things that are really important, and that is what we are here to do for God, what we are here to do for our families. That's where our vocation is right now, right? And um, and uh, so we, we do that by putting away the things of a child and uh, adopting the things, taking upon ourselves the things that are of God. Spiritual reading is a very important part of that. Um, finding the time, devoting the time, turning the time to our families. And um, exactly how we are to do that in a very positive way. It's a very important part of Lent. You know, I would suggest that the head of the family, the father, hopefully they have a father who really is the spiritual head of the family, uh, but they sit down together and they talk about Lent and what they want to accomplish not only individually but as a family during Lent, and the importance of the Lenten season. Um, I think it's obviously important for the priests, also from the pulpit, to try to focus the attention on that. Um, um, if we if we look at the the uh, epistles and gospels during this time, especially for the Sundays in Lent, that's what gives us direction, the direction we should be going during the Lenten season. Mm -hmm. And Father, in closing, I know you you talked a lot about uh, avoiding too much time with our our devices and whatnot. So this might render my next point void, but I just I think uh, if one is going to spend time with their devices that our website uh, could be a great resource for Lent at wcbohio.com. We, you know, we talked about spiritual reading. Again, we have the, the saint of the day posted mm -hmm. on the, the yes, website sir. every day. And I think that's a great place to, to start your mm -hmm. spiritual reading. It's just a short little snippet, a, a few paragraphs. Well, Tom, let's just inspiring. agree that uh, they'll spend no more than 
They'll spend a half an hour a day on it, and it will be only watching what Kathy's <laughs> right. released. They'll only right. go to the WCB. That's right. That's right. But we, we we also have a lot of great great writings on there, uh, very spiritual and inspiring mm-hmm. uh, writings from yourself and, and others on there, and uh, of course all, all the videos that we have posted on there. So I think our website could be well, a great that, that is important. I, I agree with you, but I would also say that there's something about being unplugged that is important because yeah. you know just having the device in the hand or yeah. sitting there at the keyboard. It's so associated with so many other things in life, so many worldly things. Yep. You know, um, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, a lot of work went on the website, and there's a lot of wonderful material on there that can be spiritually very enriching. I understand that. But I also think it's important to take the fingers off the keyboard and uh, put that uh, handheld device uh, away mm-hmm. and, and to just detach from that sure. somewhat. And... Um, you know, I mean, one thing I, I haven't mentioned, but I, I guess would be understood or should be, is the reception of the sacraments, obviously, of going to confession, trying to make the best confessions of one's life, um, trying to receive our Lord with the greatest love in Holy Communion than one has ever had in life, trying to make every Holy Communion more devout and more loving during Lent. Uh, that, that, again, should be our goal. And... Uh, um, that involves uh, putting away the distractions. Now, I, I don't mean to contradict what you're saying, actually, <laughs> okay. but I, I just still would suggest that sure. uh, uh, even there, we kind of ration, uh, ration our dependence on mm-hmm. the devices there. So, if you're going to go to the What Catholics Believe website, as I hope you do, <laughs> during Lent, I mean, it, it would it be too much to say, go there for penance? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Then just <clears throat> print it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Get hard copies and then walk away. Yep. <laughs> okay. And uh, go off somewhere and actually read the printed word. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, to draw draw a benefit from that. Read it, reread it, meditate upon it, mm-hmm. um, so that your your life is not spent. You know, in pixels, mm. your life does not just dissolve into pixels on the screen. Uh, there's a big world out there beyond that that God made, and we should think about that. And uh, so, in any case, uh, I, I do want people to to emerge from Lent better for the experience, the greater, a stronger faith, a deeper, deeper hope in God, a more firm hope in God and a greater love for God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and uh, a greater resolve to follow our Lord more closely, to, to love Jesus Christ. You know, we are told that uh, the first great commandment is to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if we aspire to that and realize that that is our ultimate destiny, that's what God has created us for, to have that, that, that wholehearted love for God, that whole-minded love for God in heaven, um, and realize that this is what I, I have to be trying, working toward here on earth, um, then, then I realize I've got a pretty tall order. I've got a lot to accomplish here. And uh, to realize that God is giving me the grace to accomplish that. And if I don't, it's not God's fault, it's my own fault mm-hmm. for failing to cooperate with that grace. So uh, Lent is a, is a prime time of the year to really, really make progress in that, 
and achieving that goal, mm-hmm. the great, great goal. And uh, to set that example for others. Uh, I mean, starting in one's home, in one's parish, you know, one's church, to uh, be of great service, um, even even to uh, in one's place of work, you know, to try to be that leaven there is uh, is a great thing. It's it's exactly what our Lord wants of us. Um, I mentioned, you know, ask ask the priest, uh, listen to what he says from the pulpit. Go to your siblings or your spouses and ask them what you can do. But there's no substitute for actually going in prayer to our to God, to the Holy Ghost, and asking, "What do you want of me? Uh, what What do you want me to do with this with this Lenten season that you're giving me as a great gift of life?" Uh, I thank God that you haven't called me for judgment yet, especially when I was in mortal sin. I thank God for that, and I thank God for this opportunity to live this Lenten season. But God, uh, what is it you want me to accomplish during this time? What graces are you going to be giving me during this time um, to, uh, to, to, to bring, you know, to, to, to have something to show, to produce something for you? Very important questions to ask. So in any case, Tom, um, all of it is a uh, great blessing. And uh, we should re- regard it as a, as a great blessing and, and look to... Uh, you know, there's a there's a statement in the in the gospel that those who grow go out into the fields to to plow the field, to plant the field, and so on. Um, you know, they go out with a certain amount of uh, well, it's a, it's a it's a great labor, right? But the harvest is the time of rejoicing, right? Um, our Lord even depicts himself as the sower who goes out to sow the seed. And the labor, you know, but uh, and our Lord talks about uh, that in, in his epistles, right? But he talks also about the harvest, and uh, we need to think in those terms of our Lord mm-hmm. um, and uh, what he wants us to produce, the good fruit that he wants us to bring forth in life. Mm-hmm. So essential. Um, we all have to. Um, accomplish something great, especially at this time, and especially at this time of the world's history, when the enemies of Christ um, are so bold and are riding high, in a sense, thinking that they have control and they have power. I mean, we look around the world and we see uh, the condition the world is in right now. And so this, to each one of us, should be like a challenge to us to step up and uh, not just wallow and say, oh, look how awful things are, but to say, uh, think in terms of God wanting me now to rise to the occasion, giving me the grace to rise to the occasion, and not just to be complacent and not just to be kind of, uh, well, like the insipid salt that God wants me to um, is giving me a call and, a, and a, an opportunity now to do something really, you might say, special for him at this time of the world's history, to speak up for the faith, to stand up for the faith, to oppose the evils of the day. Uh, and heaven knows the list goes on and on and on, abortion and so on. What could one do to now uh, confront these evil things? 
again, someone should think very positively about this. Uh, what can I do out of love for God to confront the evil, but by confronting the evil that offends God, manifest my love for God, and show this to other people who may be weak and not know what to do. They just need that leadership. What can I, what example can I set? What leadership can I show? Motivated by a love for God. There are all kinds of opportunities here for those who are willing to just um, not be selfish. Um, but be like the one who says, well, Lord, here I am, send me, you know. Well, Father, uh, thanks thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate all of your uh, encouragement and advice. I know I'm oh, certainly looking forward to this Lenten season of 2020. I hope all of our mm. viewers are as well. So thank you for being well, here. Well, 2020 usually refers to like clear vision. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hopefully it'll be a time when, you know, again, the scales fall from the eyes and people can see clearly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, certainly traditional Catholics need to see very clearly their role right in the yeah. world today their god-given role here and now absolutely well thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of what catholics believe until next time we ask that you all remember the words of our lady at fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the immaculate heart of mary and finally to pray and do penance thank you and god bless you <laughs>